Before we get started in today's show, I want to tell you about Stamps.com, longtime sponsor of the BS Report. It's quick. It's convenient. More importantly, it's really, really easy to use. You do not have to go to the post office anymore. You can just stay home. Make your own office, your personal post office. You can avoid lines. You can avoid just standing there as somebody mails some package, some 79-year-old lady. Who needs that? Make your own mailing and shipping from your house. Stamps.com. Put in the top right of the site, BS. You'll get a deal and a scale and a whole bunch of other things. It's a great product. Uh, You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your computer and printer. Stamps.com will give you a digital scale. It will automatically calculate the exact postage for any letter, any package. They'll even help you choose the best class of mail. Wow. Why go to the post office? Just give it to the postman. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. Taping this on a late Monday morning Pacific Coast time. It's going to run Tuesday. Coming up a little bit later, Jacko, we're going to talk Red Sox-Yankees winter signings right now. Zach Lowe, we are at the 20-game mark, basically, of the NBA season. Biggest surprise for you right now. Ooh, biggest surprise. I, I have to say, off the top of my head, I would have to say Houston being 16-4 and four with all their injury issues, with Dwight being out with a mysterious knee injury, Terrence Jones, Pat Beverly in and out. Um, I, I am super impressed that they're 16-4 and four and just they're, they're finding a way to grind out these wins. And sometimes you watch the games and you think, I don't even know how they won that game, but they won it. And I, I so I think I'd go Houston 16-4 and four in, in, in an absolutely – insane Western conference. Yeah. They're 16 and four. They don't even have a point differential of five plus four, 4.8. It's hard in an MVP candidate, like legitimately or am I crazy? No, he's absolutely an MVP candidate. I think the MVP race is wide open, especially since the guy who's been the best player in the league by a fairly large margin, Anthony Davis is on a team that's not going to make the words on the outside of the playoff race. Well, like Harden, Harden has been, the only consistent offensive threat on that team, aside from some frisky Donatus Matiunas post-up stuff now and then. And look, he's trying on defense. Now the Rockets and other people want to forward this narrative that he's become like a defensive player of the year candidate, which is ludicrous. He's trying on defense, which, which means he's fine. He's okay. That's what he is. He's an okay defensive player when he tries. And if you want to give him a cookie for that, fine. That's great. He's let, let's like pump the brakes on this like hard and elite wing defender stuff. But no, he's he's right there with any number of guys. He's a legit MVP candidate. He's not a liability this year on defense. I actually it's stupid. We're 20 games in. There's a, so much season left. But I, at the quarter mark, he would be my MVP. I think he's had the biggest impact on a team. And I, I always judge the MVP by tra- change this guy for an average person at their position. What would happen to the team? I think if you just put an average two guard in his spot, that team would fall apart completely. And he does so much and he puts so much pressure on the other team and his ability at crunch time to just create some sort of a shot for himself or somebody else. I think he's been the favorite. Chris Paul's getting some buzz lately because he's been playing a crazy statistical stretch uh, the last, like I guess, three weeks. But their schedule wasn't that hard. I, 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 I'm... My jury is still out on the Chris Paul MVP candidacy. I see it statistically, but I want to see them beat some good teams. What do you think? Uh, he's been playing great. Uh, and that's the amazing thing. I mean, it, it was we're like two and a half weeks away from what's wrong with the Clippers. 
Um, then the Clippers went on an Eastern Conference road trip and beat the crap out of everyone, as every Western Conference team does. And, you know, for a Western Conference team, they've played a pretty easy schedule. And, and the West is going to start playing the West more um, over the next couple of weeks. And that's going to be interesting. But Chris Paul, people are sleeping on what a great what a great season he's having. And uh, yeah. one of the best seasons of his career so far. He's in there. Steph Curry is in there. Might be the favorite right now. Uh, unibrow lebron i mean you could go on and on it's it's a wide open mvp race and and a really really fun season especially in the west which is just playing a whole is a whole different league of of basketball what about i agree they, they should secede into their own league the west uh the i'm going unfortunately you have already heard this podcast by the time the game happened but suns clippers tonight i'm intrigued by that one because I went to a game last year where the Suns gave the Clippers a lot of problems with their pace. And uh, I want I want to see how the uh, the Clippers adjust that tonight. We we can both agree we're disappointed in Blake Griffin, right, this season? Uh, he's been playing better lately. Uh, and when I've watched him, he's, he's had several games where he's gone to the post a lot more than he was early in the season where he was, you know, just drifting out for 10 mid-range jumpers and a couple of threes a game. But yeah, his defense has been shaky. He's not rebounding like he was two or three years ago. You know, there are rumblings that that back injury is just something that's going to linger throughout the season. He, yeah. But he's been good. I mean, it, it, this is one of those things where the expectations for him are so... He was everyone's sexy MVP candidate before the season because of how great he was last year, and he hasn't been quite that great. But he's been he's been fine. I mean, look, defensively is where the rubber meets the road for those guys, and... and um it's it's TBD so far. Well, last year I thought he was the third best player in the league. I don't I don't think he's been one of the ten most impactful guys this year so far. But may, it does seem like he's not a hundred percent, and I, I'm interested to see. You know, they've been a little bit transparent about what's going on, but I'm interested to know if if he's more hurt than they're letting on. The uh, you you before the season we did a podcast. And you said, yeah, I was like, give me a sleeper MVP candidate. You said Steph Curry. That one's looking pretty good. Uh, I voted him third last year on my ballot ahead of Blake um, and behind only the big two, LeBron and KD. He's just, I mean, he's an offense unto himself and they're 16 and two, 17 and two, excuse me. And he's having another great season. He's playing much better on defense and, and Kerr has sort of let him go, right? I mean, you're going to guard the opposing point guard every night and his foot, his footwork has been, has been great. And I just think the only danger is, you know, do you tire him out? And they still struggle to score when he's off the floor, although they've been better the last three or four games with, with their bench, but he's, he is, he's a glitch in the system. He's, he's the, he's a the kind of offensive player, if you can make 30 foot threes off the dribble with minimal space, you, you are just a complete anomaly. And, and that's what he is to me. He, is, is he the front runner? No, I don't know. He might be. He's, he's right there. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Harden's got to be the front runner. Cause and we he, didn't he, talk about Marcus soul yet. No, no, we did not. He's in there too. He's in the conversation. You know, you and I, neither of us are surprised that the Warriors are 17 and two, I would say, because, I think both of us felt really strongly about the Steve Kerr just going into that situation. I always felt like the Warriors, as strange as it sounds, kind of underachieved for what they had from a talent standpoint. And you watch them this year, um, especially a guy like Harrison Barnes. And I thought it was interesting on, I forget last week, I forget who wrote it, but somebody wrote a Harrison Barnes profile. And Harrison Barnes basically came out and said, I was being used incorrectly. We had an offense that was basically just ISO stuff, and that's not my game. I like moving. I like being on the move. I like coming off picks, and 
I'm just so much more comfortable now. That's a guy that I think Warriors fans would have been totally fine trading last year. And he's turned into an asset. They've played one game with David Lee this year and they're 17 and two. And I, I just really like that team. I think Kerr has done an amazing job. What do you think? Oh, he's been great. I I love the roster. I wrote a whole thing last year on how they were my stealth championship contender if they could get better coaching and away from the ISOs. And I was optimistic they could do that last year. And of course, that proved incorrect, although they gave the Clippers everything they could handle without Bogut in the first round of the playoffs. I love the team. I, I love the roster. I love the way they're put together. Everything Harrison Barnes is saying about his own role is is exactly right. And lead, the Lee thing is fascinating because I think it's a done deal. He's not starting ever again. Yeah. Golden State. And the interesting thing about, okay, so then how do you use him? And it's very easy to say, oh, he, you just, you know, make him a key cog off the bench and he runs the offense for the elbows. But like, okay, then who does he replace? Because you're having great success with a bench unit that's very small and, and features Harrison Barnes at power forward. And that gives a, opposing benches a lot of trouble. And it's safe to play him there because nobody's bench has a four who's going to punish him on the block. There's no great post up big man on the bench. Okay. So if Lee doesn't replace him, he replaces Maurice Spates, who is like shooting fireballs out of his hands every game. So I, I'm not sure where he, I mean, like you've got to play him and he's useful and, and maybe it, it I, but putting him in there is going to be interesting. Well, I mean, thank God I'm here. The Picasso, the trade machine. Oh boy. I wonder if, if they're happy with the team they have and they just try to do them for an expiring and a backup forward who can play 15 minutes a game and they're thinking short-term, long-term with him, like maybe you don't want to screw this up. I, I mean, look, the elephant in the room with them is that if they don't trade one of Lee or Iguodala, they're going to be like $10 million over the tax next year. And, and that gets you into paying like $105, $110 million just to field a team, you know, once yep. you figure in payroll plus taxes. And they've never paid the tax, and nobody wants to pay a tax bill like that. So that's the elephant in the room is like one of those guys has to go unless you're willing to just bite the bullet for one year and pay an enormous tax bill, knowing that the cap's going to go way up and you'll probably never be in, in danger of paying the tax again. But yeah, I mean, I I think they'll listen for sure on on David Lee deals, and I think honestly they would listen on Iguodala deals because they're just so deep at the wing. And again, the money situation is what it is. I was impressed that they were able to Jedi mind trick Iguodala into coming off the bench because that's a guy who makes twelve million dollars a year, and that's something Mark Jackson should have done last year and didn't. But the obvious move for them, I we talked about it last season, was to start Barnes get him more involved and bring Iggy off the bench and also kind of save his body a little bit with the, from a minute standpoint, they were able to do that. I wonder if they'll have the balls to move Lee for an expiring, like, all right, here's an example. If you're the Celtics, would you think about just trading uh, Marcus Thornton's expiring and Brandon Bass for two years of David Lee? You get him this year and next year. Why? What's in it for me? You're just you're David getting Lee? the best player in the trade. I, I don't think uh, that doesn't interest me if I'm Danny Age, unless I'm getting a pick with it. And uh, they can trade their pick, I think, because they traded Utah their 14 and 17 picks. So they would there are they are freed up to trade a 2016 or 15 uh, first rounder. I think. Let me just check that to make sure. Wow, you really uh, don't like David Lee that much. I just, I mean, what's what does he bring to the Celtics? Like uh, the Celtics aren't. You Have know, you watched the Celtics? 
Well, no, I've watched them, and they can't hold a fourth quarter lead to save their lives, and they have no go-to score, et cetera, et cetera. But like, what's the point? They're not. They're not. Uh, do they want to win games? Are they dying to win games that badly that they're going to shake up their well and shake up their team? I don't know. Thornton and Bass. Who cares? But there's no motive for me to do that without a pick thrown in. So I went back to Boston this week, last week with my daughter, and we went to the Celtics Laker game. The Celtics aren't bad. Like they're seven and eleven, and they've blown seven games in the last minute, and and. You know, they're in this weird situation with Rondo where he's clearly not a max player. And I think it would be insane to give him a max contract, but I think he's going to get a max contract and it can't, it's not going to be from the Celtics. I don't think you think, would you give Rondo a max contract? He's taking, he's made nine free throws in seven weeks. Yeah. The free throw shooting is, is a real issue. What is he? Nine for 30 something now from the line. He's Um, way in his own head with, with offensively. And it's like, all right, the Lakers, the game I went to, he was fantastic, but he was going against the Lakers, who are the worst defensive team I've ever seen in person. But they're so bad. Oh my I, it's God, it's unbelievable. I had really good seats. We were like sitting right under the basket. It, it is unbelievable. And I actually, last night, I, I bet on, uh, I did the Pats money line with the Pelicans money line because I was like, after watching the Lakers in person, I was like, how are they going to stop Anthony Davis? This is like an impossibility. There's not a person on this roster who can who can hang with them. But the point is like with the Celts, like uh, with the assets they have and the expirings they have and the extra picks they have, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be decent this year. Well, look, I mean, the Eastern conference, (laughs) I mean, Charlotte, New York and Detroit to varying degrees all thought they could make the playoffs, right? Charlotte thought they could be a top four seed. They are all so disastrously bad. Right. That all of these teams, Boston, Orlando, Indiana, the crippled Pacers, like they're all in the playoff race. And I'm not sure they can like not be in the playoff race right. without a complete fire sale. But yeah, Rondo, I just Rondo is shooting 39 percent from the floor, 11 of 34 from the foul line. And you just look at the point guards like where does he rank in the point guard pecking order now? He's almost 29. Um, is he better than he's not better than Kyle Lowry? I don't think he's he's not better than Mike Conley. Not in this he's state. Done. Yeah, he's he's not, not he may not be better than Eric Bledsoe or Goran Dragic. I mean, like Jesse Starko through the names, he's he's not a max player anymore. And I'm certain the Celtics don't want to give him the max. But I will say this: they're I, I agree with you. The Celtics are like okay, and they're the kind of team that Rondo needs to be on. In other words, if he's the worst shooter on the floor, and everyone around him, including the two big guys, is a pretty good shooter. You've you you've got the makings of something, and they have the makings of that. They they can't defend well enough at the rim, and and Sullinger is not quite the long range shooter they hoped he'd be. But they have they have something cooking with that setup. Yeah, and they play with a great pace. Their offense is good. Rondo, it's the perfect offense for him. You can't ask for a better offense. The the problem is, you know, they 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 have an offense that revolves around gunning threes, and only recently did they start making them. You know, they shoot like 23 threes a game. Zeller, Tyler Zeller's been a, a slight protecting the rim improvement, but by slight, I mean, it's not a catastrophe anymore. It's just a disaster. Um, but I, I I like the players in the team. I mean, they, even somebody like Jeff Green, like, I think he's averaging like 19 a game this year. Um, you don't want him to be your best player, but he's a, he's an above average starter on the right team. I, I don't know what they're going to do. There's one interesting thing that I actually did some research. You and I talked about this, and then I did some research, and I found out the, the rule. So let's say the Celtics decide they wanted to trade Rondo. They don't want to pay him. 
they could do a pick swap with somebody using the Clippers pick because the Clippers pick is unprotected. So the Knicks are four and 18, but the Knicks are only, let's see how far they are out of the, out of the playoffs here. Pretty far. Well, seven, like seven games in the loss column. I think they're eight games behind Brooklyn right now. If you're the Boy, Celtics, the, by the way, the, the Nets Knicks rivalry really has taken off. Just, just <laughs> um, New York city is on fire right yeah. now about these teams. I can tell you, I live here. It's, it's, uh, it's all people are talking about in the streets. It's great. It's, it's just, it's, it's like Ali Frazier. Uh, but the Celtics could trade Rondo for Bragdani and do a pick swap this year with the Knicks pick and that Clippers pick, which I didn't know for sure if that rule was true, but it's true. So let's say the Clippers are the 27th pick and the Knicks do that trade and they don't, they can't get out of the bottom 10 and the Celtics get the eighth pick out of that. Then you flip the picks. So Celtics would pick eight. The, the Knicks would pick 27th. I don't know if the Knicks would do that, but it does it does kind of increase the Rondo options, right? To be able to do pick swaps and stuff like that with that Clipper pick, plus all the Brooklyn picks they have. Like, I think the Celtics are going to be up to stuff. And I also think the market for Jeff Green, um, there's just not a lot of above-average perimeter guys out there, and you could we could name seven teams off the top of our head right now that could use Jeff Green. So I, I think, they, to me, they're the number one intriguing trade partner um, heading into these next two months. Who do you, do you have Charlotte and Denver over them or would you say Celtics? I think, well, I mean, Celtics have the big Boston has the biggest name and that's Rondo. Um, and I, you know, again, the issue is I, I don't know why the Knicks would do that. I mean, I understand they're needed. Cause they're the crazy because they're well, dysfunctional I, and incompetent. I think they're, but I think, you know, the vibe people are getting from them is that they're less, that Phil has, has sort of, uh, muffled the craziness a little bit. And people don't seem to think they're super interested in making trades this year. They're okay being bad. They're okay going Mm. into the top five and Rondo's an expiring and and green is kind of a semi expiring too. So I don't know. A green is, is much easier to trade. Yeah. I think, I think Denver is probably the most intriguing, um, team to me just because I, I don't see them making a playoff run and they have all those, they have all those assets. There are, there are a couple other teams. Um, hey, wait, certainly... Hold on now, Denver. Wait, don't, don't they have like a crazy amount of money committed for next season? They do, which is, I think part of the reason why they might, um, why they might try and find a trade that sort of clears off some of that salary. If they can find a, a taker and a guy like Wilson Chandler's having a great year. Now he doesn't have a lot of salary for next season, but yeah. if you can attach a Hickson or a Gallo or a somebody to him, um, maybe, maybe you think about it, but again, they don't have, I mean, it's not as if all their guys are like blossoming at the same time and are, you know, people are dying to get them, but they're interesting. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, there are a couple of interesting teams and, and a couple of teams that might be less interesting trade wise, um, given how they're playing like Atlanta, if Atlanta keeps playing like this, I think they just sort of ride it out instead of sniffing around some interesting trades, but you know, we'll see. I'm shocked by Atlanta being 13 and six with the season Horford's having Horford. We, 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 we've talked a couple times here about how Horford was such an intriguing, uh, trade piece and that somebody you could get and what would he be worth? And, you know, we, we just assigned a really high value to him. And now I'm watching him and I'm thinking like two surgeries on his shoulders. Maybe, maybe he's at a different point in his career. What are you seeing? I feel like he's been a little better defensively the last 10 days or so when I've caught them a little friskier around the basket, but um, 
he hasn't been, I mean, look, we're, we're sitting here complaining about him. He's shooting 55%. Um, and, and generally yeah, he, doesn't look the, he doesn't look the same. I, I well, mean, and he's, he's not even getting to the foul line once a game. Nah. Um, he's not, he's, as, he's, he's not, yeah, he's not as springy. And, 12 and six basically. Yeah. He's not as explosive. He's not as big. It's, he's not as big a part of their offense as he probably should be. And, and they're, you know, every time I've run into them, they've been like, you know, they're kind of waiting for him. They're wait. He's their big foundation piece and he hasn't been himself yet, but look, the, it, it hasn't, it hasn't really mattered. That said, they've, they've played the easiest schedule in the league and that's going to change. But I, look, you know me, I'm an Atlanta optimist. I think they're a legit good team. I think they're very well coached. I like their players. The, the Schroeder thing, which you actually wrote about on Friday. Was it Friday? Yeah. Um, Schroeder, Schroeder, I still, Schroeder and and Andre Robertson are like the top of my list of guys whose names I will just never pronounce correctly the first time. You know, it made me mad. I did that draft. I did the draft telecast and it felt like he went a couple of picks too late. He was the one like, you know, watching clips on YouTube of European guys, you know, there's only, you take them with a million grains of salt. He was the one you could, he kind of looked, it was like, Ooh, this guy's could see this guy making it and then and then you know you they totally whiffed on the brazilian guy who they gave away but uh but schroeder 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 Schroeder. yeah he's pretty intriguing and they i mean they're second in the east right now as you said they had a super easy schedule i I think washington for me other than uh the cleveland chicago combo washington to me is the highest upside just because of uh what Pierce has meant to them. And the fact they haven't really been totally healthy all year. Um, I just like their ceiling. And I think the Pierce signing was my favorite signing of the summer. I love what he's done for them. What do you think? And he hasn't even played that well. I mean, he hasn't found himself yet. And part of that is because I think they viewed him more as a guy who was going to swing between small forward and power forward and injuries have prevented him from playing much for so far. I mean, I'm looking at he's shooting 31% from three, 42 overall. I mean, he's just been okay, but he does give them a swagger. He's tough. He puts everyone in line. Uh, the Nets miss that about him, the sort of just sort of accountability yeah. um, that he brings. And like you said, I mean, the Wizards are scrapping along, winning these games, and Nene has plantar fasciitis, which everyone could see coming years in advance, and, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup, and Martel Webster still isn't back. Beal missed the first bunch of games, and it's, it's you know, again, they haven't played a knockout schedule, but they've they've played well. They're good. They're, they're legitimately good. I mean, that's the top three in the East right now, Toronto, Atlanta, Washington. I, I don't think it'll end up that way, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. I like... Uh... The two best veteran clubhouse locker room been there before ads for this season were Jason Terry and Pierce. Jason Terry is when I was so proud of Daryl when he did that. It was basically like you, you're just taking a contract from Sacramento. They want to shed, you know, salary and stuff. But um, you just need guys like that. It's important. Jason Terry is not 40% of what he was five years ago, probably, but he'll still make a big shot. He's not afraid and he'll still take people under his wing. And, you know, and, and that's what I think Pierce and Rasul Butler from, from stuff Rasool, I've heard. Rasul Butler is, Red is, is, Rasool out, Butler. is just outrageous. I mean, every shot he takes, it, I'm yeah. like, why is it that Rasul Butler can't take that? And it goes in and I'm now I'm used to it. Now it's like, Oh, Rasul Butler had 22 points again. Okay. I guess that's like a thing that's going on now. Uh, I don't think the Rockets actually expected Jason Terry to play or at least play nearly this much, but it's like, like he started games as their quote unquote point guard 
recently. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of what makes Harden so valuable is that he's their point guard, basically. But yeah, Jet has been he's been making shots. I mean, what else can you say? They're scrapping out wins. Russell Butler. I think it was on the 2010 Clippers maybe or 2011, one of those before Chris Paul got there and he was washed up. It's improbable that he has become an important playoff piece. I did not, I did put it this way. I did not see that one coming. Well, I don't look, I, okay. I don't think that's good. That's not going to last. I mean, he's not going to be an important no, player. One games for them though. This guy was out of the league four years ago. No, there's no, he's 35. He's been phenomenal for them. He's shooting 57%. 55% from three. Oh my God. Even better than I thought. Yeah. Um, you, and you need, when you're in a, in an 82 game season, you need guys like that, right? You need like the stopgap guy. And it was Garrett temple for like five or six games at the beginning of the season. You need a guy who's just like, okay, four guys are hurt. Can someone just get me a few buckets tonight so we can limp through these games? So yeah, he's been, I don't really get it, but he's playing well. We only have eight minutes left because I promised you, you could go back to work to your car. Ah, we can do uh, a little more if you want, but go uh, ahead. Um, I can't believe the Knicks are four and 18. I knew they were, I, I didn't think they were going to be good, but four and 18 is unbelievable. I'm even more amazed that Detroit is three and 18. You and I were both riding the Stan Van Gundy train. Um, I, I don't know what he's doing this year. I didn't really like their summer signings. I don't really like the way the team's coached. I don't know if it's his fault that Josh Smith attempted a game-winning three down by two points the other day. I didn't hate um, that shot, for the record. I didn't. I didn't hate that shot. Just go. He, there was like six seconds left. Just go. Just let it fly. You're not going to okay. beat the Thunder in overtime. I'm on board with that shot. But are we uh, sure Stan's not Stan Tank Gundy? Uh, certainly the degree to which they tried to make Drummond a post-up player in the first ten or fifteen games was had that vibe of like. We don't care what the learning curve is. We're just going to do this. Yeah, it feels. I, this feels very tanky to me. This whole season. Well, look, the Meeks thing. The Meeks injury was a disaster. Not because he's so good, just because they just you know stretch the have, floor. Yeah. yeah, they don't have shooting. They don't have wing depth. And uh, the Monroe situation is bad. I mean, he's he's not coming back there. Everyone knows he's not coming back there. And yeah, you know, he's, he's been really good in the post for them and, and not really good in very many other ways. And, you know, probably I wouldn't blame him if he's checked out a bit. And Jennings has been after a decent start, he's been terrible lately. It's just not a good collection of players. And yeah, I was dead wrong. I thought they'd be uh, the number seven or eight seed in the East. I was super optimistic about them and they've been, they're hard to watch. I mean, literally they're hard to watch. I hate watching them. Sal, Joe House, and I made three over-under bets this year. We bet on Golden State. I think they were like 52. We went over. We bet on Atlanta, 43, over. And tragically, Detroit, 36, over. I think I think we're going to be sending that one uh, to, the, to the mortuary. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's you're not, you're, you might lose that one in like two weeks, the way things are going now. I, I have to say, I asked you before what I was the most surprised, what you were the most surprised by this season. I'm the most surprised by Charlotte. We did our league pass thing, and I was talking about it. I mean, if they get David West, they're a serious contender. Lance has been an out and out. I, I don't even know what the word is. I, what he's done to that team, it's almost like he's a mole. Indiana sent him as a mole to ruin Charlotte, and now they're just going to trade back for him in, in December 15th for George Hill and have a big laugh about it. Like this was like Larry Bird's big plan. I can't believe how bad he is on the Hornets. You've written about it a little bit. Do you have a theory? I mean, I was down on them before the season, but this is preposterous what's happening. They should not be this bad. I mean, they just don't have shooting 
and their defense has been what more what we expected it would be last year when they sort of outperformed by a mile. As for Lance, you know, look, he had a he had a groin injury in the preseason and the people with the team say, you know, that just kind of really hampered both his jumper and his ability to find his place early on with, you know, where am I going to get my shots? How am I going to play with this new bunch of guys? And they also played a very tough schedule. So they'll, they'll sort of bank some wins coming up against bad teams, but he just, I mean, look, the bottom line is he can't shoot. He's not shooting. He can't make shots. And if he can't make shots, um, it makes it harder for him to get to the rim. And if he can't get to the rim, he's not really doing much. It's just, and his, his, what's the proper way to say this? His demeanor. Demeanor is the right word. His demeanor has been awful. And look, it's, awful. it's this is not like us from a thousand miles away um, saying this. I was there and like people hate it there. It's a real thing. Like people, the, the, the team is not thrilled with what they've gotten out of him. Let's put it that way. I think he's one of the first, I think he's traded on December 15th or around then with somebody. And he's I, poison, I, though. I'm not sure. I mean, look, he's not total poison because he's young and he's talented. And, and you're right that I think I think Indiana, for one, would take a shot at bringing him back. I, I, is there another I, team? I, I think it's Indiana. I think. Uh, I think that I think that, by the way, would you be shocked if they traded for Lance and then Paul George all of a sudden was working out on like March 1st? Well, I mean, look, I'm not ruling out any scenario of Indiana being an eight seed with with Paul George and probably coming back and Lance being on the team. If that's like a 20 to one bet, I'm making it. Vogel has said in a few places, including on on, our, on my podcast, that they haven't ruled out Paul George playing this year. I kind of mentally did like in my mental picture of the Pacers. I just kind of ruled it out. But again, they're one of these teams that because because all those playoff hopefuls are so terrible. They're they're right there. I mean, I it's it's hard to believe, but they're not far out of the playoffs. And if 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 they get healthy and things go right, and now David West is back, like I guess I I don't know. I mean, who the hell knows? Anything's possible in the Eastern Conference. Let's gloat. I think it's time for some gloating. We're at the twenty game mark. People love that. Tad, just a tad gloating, just a tad. Both of us thought Miami was a borderline playoff team, and at gunpoint. We had them in the six, seven, eight range. I think we felt like somewhere between thirty-eight and forty-five wins, depending on how healthy Dwayne Wade was going to be during the season, seemed realistic to both of us. Um, people in Miami reacted like we said Dwayne Wade should should be banned and sent to Siberia. Yeah, I, people reacted like I shot Dwayne Wade. But Dan basically. Levitard. My friend of me, Dan Levitard, hung up on you on his radio show. When well, you, that when was you a mentioned. joke. Th- 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 no, no, th- they, they, no, just go with me. I don't care about the facts. You okay. were hung up on. Dan Levitard hung up on you. And now Miami is 9 and 11. Just pointing this out. Oh, uh, has Dwayne Wade played all 20 games? Let me see. Let me see. Just let me see how many games Dwayne Wade has played. Um, he's played 13. <laughs> Yeah, I so mean, he's on pace to the fifty-five to sixty range that both of us said is the kind of guy he is at this point of his career. He can't play an eighty-two game season anymore. Period. It's actually kind of worrisome to me how, like, when he came back from missing those seven games, he looked unbelievable, and he still yeah. looks. He had another good game last night, and that's great. But it's sort of alarming to me that he needs that to look like Dwayne Wade. He needs to take all that time off to look like himself again. And that's what the pessimism was based on is that he's not going to play the whole season and they just don't have enough good players 
to get through every night without him at 100%. And that's saying that Mario Chalmers has been fantastic this season, better than I anticipated it'd be. They've played played a hard schedule, and uh, McRoberts has just finally started. I think he started the last three games or something, and is just starting to feel like himself again. And so they're going to get some stuff back, but, you know, am I surprised they're 9-11? No. I mean, you, you know, I don't, you know. They're right. Bosch has been excellent. Bosch has been great. I think they might have bought a car from Tom Thibodeau where he rolled back the odometer. They bought the Luau Dangmobile and they thought there was 40,000 miles on it, but it was actually 140. That could be a problem. You got to check that. You got any, you got to check the bulls odometer every time, every time. It's like, Oh, this car's fine. I got it from Chicago. It's got 40,000 miles on it. No, not sure. Hey, I thought the most intriguing game I saw this whole season was Golden State versus Chicago. And uh, and especially the part where they where Golden State just said, screw it, we're going to go small for a lot of this game, and we don't think you guys can handle it, and it worked. And Draymond Green has turned into this, I guess, what do we call him, a stretch four or a small ball four or whatever the word is. I he's think turned he's into just... like a legit asset. Like he might make my trade value column. Oh, um, Draymond Green is good. And yeah. I think he's just, I think he's just a four now. I think that's what he is. I don't okay. even think he's a. I think he's just a four. Um, so is 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 that the weakness for Chicago? The uh, if teams going small and kind of making the move. Uh, I mean, it's a weakness for everyone, right? I mean, like it's a weakness for anyone who plays that way. Any team that has that much shooting anywhere, but particularly at the four, is a problem. And what's interesting for Chicago is I think one of the reasons they've had some rebounding and interior defense issues this year is they can't sort of mix and match things so that Noah is near the basket all the time like they've been able to. Noah has to guard the Draymond Greens because Pau Gasol can't do it, and Pau Gasol is not the interior defender at the basket that Noah is. So they've been having some problems in that regard. But, you know, Draymond Green is really good. And that game... I, I saw I finally watched that game yesterday. I couldn't watch it. When was it Saturday? I guess I couldn't watch yeah. it on Saturday full of, I couldn't watch it start to finish on Saturday. And I knew Draymond Green had 30 or whatever. But like what's almost more impressive to me is within the first five minutes of that game, he had like four deflections and a block shot. I mean, like the guy is just he's just making plays and, and making it sounds it is cliche. He makes winning plays. I mean, he's really, really good. Great second round pick. I remember saying on TV during his rookie year, laughing about him shooting threes. And now he's turned into a, a, a really, really above average three point shooter. And he's another good example of like that. If you don't think somebody can make an outside shot, but he can do a million other things, maybe you bank on that. He can learn how to shoot, you know, and Draymond, Draymond Green now is a real asset for them. And they can spread the floor. I, the Warriors are my, are my favorite uh, league pass team right now because I feel like I like all the different styles they can play. And uh, and Steph is great. The home crowds are great. I, I just really get a kick out of watching them. There. But you wrote about Dallas, um, I think, two Tuesdays ago. I thought that was yeah. one of your best pieces. I really enjoyed that. And, and the big takeaway from that piece and just from watching them all year, which I, I think people haven't really grasped, is they've kind of turned basketball into soccer. They've, they don't really run plays and they react on to what the defense is doing and whatever the defense does, that's how the players move, which is basically how soccer's played. It's brilliant. And I, and I'm just kind of continually flabbergasted that how they figured out to, how to do it. Do you think this is something that can actually win a title though? Uh, I'm pessimistic uh, just because I don't think they have enough defense and I don't either. 
and I think when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be scouted and, and teams are going to be prepared and they're going to face great defenses. And it's just, they're still, still score because they're, they scored against San Antonio in the playoffs last year. They score. I just don't know if they'll score quite as much as they're doing now. And, and look, they play only one good defensive player in their starting lineup. Their point guards, look, they're going to have to face Tony Parker and Russell Westbrook and, you know, on and on. And they don't have good point guards. And that's a conscious choice that they've made to sort of spend not there and spend elsewhere. I, you know, look, they're 16 and six. They're really, really good. By the way, they're seventh in the West at 16 and six, which is insane. Um, I, if you, I just don't know if they've, if they've got enough defense to make it all the way through. That's 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 my skeptic. That's everyone's skepticism about them. Knicks fans should be madder about the Tyson Chandler trade because it was made for the wrong reasons. And I'm just going to say what the reasons are. I don't care. Chandler and, and Carmelo Anthony did not get along. And the Knicks, as part of their recruitment for Carmelo Anthony, decided in June that they needed to trade Tyson Chandler because that would give them a better chance to re-sign Carmelo Anthony. And that's fine. Tyson Chandler didn't have a great year last year. I, I, in fact, it looked like he might have had some miles on him. But on the other hand, he's heading into a contract year. He was playing for a team that had the worst point guards in the league. And he's one of the best screen and roll guys in the league. Um, he couldn't have been in a worst offense where he's just kind of standing there watching Carmelo shoot or Ray Felton or J.R. Smith do nothing. And was clearly somebody who had real value. And they did the classic two quarters, two dimes for a dollar trade and gave him away and didn't really get anything back of real value for him. I'm sorry. I don't think Jose Calderon is, is an above average point guard at this point. Um, that trade would make me mad if I was a Knicks fan, because if you had Chandler now, at least you'd be able to shop him, try to get something for him. You can't get anything for anyone on that roster. Um, and then last point on that, it, it's, it's crazy to me how the Chandler and Wright, they figured out how to use in the exact same way. And kind of like the hybrid of those two guys, just for how they use them, that might be a combo who shoots 70% from the field this year. I, I'm just really impressed by Dallas. I think they're really smart. They've kind of stumbled their way f just from being smart into a fringe contender just by kind of outthinking other teams, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, they, they, it, it's some stumbling and some not stumbling. I mean, they, they understand. I don't mean stumbling like, like they were, I don't mean it was like, you know, they were, it wasn't intentional. I mean, just like they've, they've, I guess like shifting would be a better word. Sorry. Yeah, no, they're very it. smart. They're very smart and they, they understand how the league sort of how league rules have changed and how you should play offense. And, and they understand Tyson Chandler's value. And I don't think the Knicks did. And I'll say this though, it, it, people should really appreciate Tyson Chandler and Brandon Wright because it, it's much harder on a lot of levels to just screen and roll to the basket and be good at it. Then, then they make it look. I mean, there just aren't a lot of big guys who can catch the ball at the foul line and dunk in a smooth, one all-in-one motion kind of way for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's hard. You have to be a good athlete. You have to have good hands, and you have to be long and explosive. You have to be able to shoot free throws well, or else people will just foul you like they do, like they should, and are starting to do more with Andre Drummond. Yeah, and and also like you are willingly embracing a role where you're not going to get the ball a lot. Your job is to just dive to the rim and suck in defensive players. So other guys can shoot, you know, and I will say, I, I I'm going to write this tomorrow. I mean, I'd take a guy like Larry Sanders at Milwaukee. That's how Milwaukee wants him to play. And yeah. they have trouble getting him to do it because it, it's hard for him to see the value of, I'm just going to run like this and not get the ball. And it, that's not like super exciting for me. Right. Hey, I, 
And also there's a certain skill knowing to cut a second before everyone else realizes you started the cut. And that's something Chandler's been great at. You, you had a couple of clips in your column, but you watched them over and over again. And all they do is just wait for teams to fall asleep for a second. And suddenly those guys are flying to the rim on the weak side. It's really effective. I think when I look at that Dallas team, you talked about how, you know, they, their offense is on a semi-historic pace so far. Parsons isn't even playing well. They're using him perfectly. Like he fits, he makes sense in that team, but he's not playing well yet. And if he can get his stats up, then that, that team I think could really go on a run. I, I feel like he's still kind of feeling his oats. He went from one situation to a situation that's just totally different from a hoops IQ standpoint. And I think he's catching up still, but um, I like what I'm seeing from them. I've really enjoyed basketball this year. There's a lot of teams, like even a team like the Celtics that's below 500 is fun to watch. There's a lot of fun to watch teams this year, Milwaukee, Orlando, um, you're just going down the line, and it seems like there's good hoops on every night. I, I love this season. Where does it rank for you? Really great season. And I think fun to watch is like, that's not by accident. The league wants it to be wants itself to be fun to watch, and the way they've yeah. changed the rules and, and the way that offenses have, offenses have to play now, swinging the ball to, to beat these defenses that can load up on one side of the floor, et cetera, et cetera. It is fun to watch. If you're not fun to watch, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, yeah. It's, it's really good, and... Uh, you know, even I'll say this, Philly is fun to watch because Philly plays like that. They have no talent or they have yeah. some talent, very minimal talent, but they're even fun to watch. I mean, it's just there are very few teams I look at and say, oh, God, they're boring to watch. It's everyone is pretty damn fun to watch. The Lakers aren't so fun to watch. Minnesota skeleton crew is not really that fun to watch. Detroit is miserable. I'll tell you who's the team. that's Charlotte. Been uh, Charlotte is boring. Oh, Al Jefferson's kind of fun. I'll tell you the team that's been boring since the minute they moved here is Brooklyn. Brooklyn is just, has never yeah. for one second, been an entertaining team to watch. They're just boring. And, and I don't know how else to say it. They're boring to watch. Yeah. I like watching that Milwaukee team. They, they, it's just like the team of guys with long arms flying around doing stuff. And, and uh, last, last point. I love KJ McDaniels. I talked about oh, this yeah. with house last week, but Oh my God. If they did the draft again, was he? Would he'd be in your top five, right? Oh boy, I think he's in my top five. I'd have to look at the draft. You're that better than me in remembering guy, draft orders. Oh my god, that guy is like a freak athlete. Uh, and, he, and a, a yeah. defensive menace. That guy's going to be on a really good team at some point in his life. I like him. He's uh, he's the only guard in the league who puts up like nine rebounds and four blocks, and you're like, oh, okay, that's. I guess that's just another another game for KJ McDaniels. Yeah, he's. I mean, you look at some of these guys who have drafted in the first round. Adrian Payne hasn't even played barely. Well, yet. then you think like OKC just giving away that 29th pick, just giving it away. You got to run that in league. every time. Well, it, every time. You, if if I'm an OKC fan, how does that not drive me crazy that KJ McDaniels got taken three picks later? Uh, that would drive me crazy. I would go absolutely. All I would think about is the fact that my team willingly gave away their first round pick. And this guy got taken three rounds, three picks later. I would go nuts or I'll I would say not that, be able to handle it. This is a bad example because Shabazz Napier has actually played Napier. Napier yeah, has Napier. actually played, has actually played well and played a lot of crunch time for Miami. But they drafted him because of LeBron. I mean, that's the I reason know. that they picked him. And LeBron KJ McDaniels, yeah, is is a better is a better long term. Yeah, KJ McDaniel's people just didn't know if he could shoot or really dribble, and he's been much better at those things than people thought. He's he's legitimately they're coming here on um, 
on Friday, I think, to Brooklyn. And I'm excited to see them because they've looked like an okay NBA team for about two weeks. And that's a nice step up for them. You know, I mean, look, they're, they are tied in the loss column with Detroit and New York, which is really, really sad for Detroit and New York. Last thing, and then we got to go to Jekko. You know who else passed on KJ McDaniels, and it's a tragedy, is the Clippers at number 28. It, he would it, be playing crunch time for the Clippers. No, he, he would. Doc wouldn't there. play him. Doc wouldn't play him. Come on. Doc's trying not to win the title if he's not going to play that guy, because that, that, he would immediately become their best perimeter defender by 100 times over anyone else they have on that roster. But holy mackerel. And also, Bruno. There's a little Bruno buzz. Tiny bit, just a just a whiff. There's a whiff well, of Bruno he, buzz. The one game he got in, he damn yeah. near caused a riot across Canada. I'm really happy for the good people of Toronto. I, I'm glad they have a fun team. The Rosen will come back in eight weeks. They'll be fine. They're gonna be a top three seed. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited going for there. The trade for, they're gonna make. I'm going there for the holidays. And guess what? They're on the road the entire freaking time I'm there. Do uh, you know why? Hockey. The World Junior Hockey Championship oh is God. taking over the Raptors arena for like two weeks. They're on the road the whole time I'm there. I normally get to like two or three Raptors games in hockey. The people, do you know that people in Canada watch the world junior hockey championships? Like it's appointment viewing bars are overflowing because like Canada is playing the Czech Republic in world junior hockey. It doesn't even have to be Canada. They overflow for like, let's go watch the Czech Republic play Russia in world junior hockey. It's freaking insane. They love their hockey. It's it's how they treat the World Junior Championships is like what happens to America with the World Cup every four years when people just start going out and it becomes a thing. That's every year with the World Junior Championships. I remember they the first time, like two years ago, I was there or four years. must have been four. I don't know how. Is this an every year event? I have no idea. But my sister-in-law said, hey, why don't you come out to this bar, Shoeless Joe's with us? We're going to watch the World Junior Hockey Championships. And I said, that's on television? And she she looked at me like I was a crazy person. Like, of course, it's it's like a it, is the Super Bowl on television? Yes. You know who else passed on KJ McDaniel's? The Celtics. Well, I I'm still I I I'm proud owner of James Youngstock, but Milwaukee at number thirty one. Imagine putting him on that Milwaukee team with all the other long arm crazy athlete guys. Uh, believe me, roll out a whole team of long arm crazy crazy athlete guys. They could add an entire starting five. That question came up during my time in, in Milwaukee. Um, oh, I, I would be, sure. if, if I owned a team who had a pick from 24 on and we didn't take KJ McDaniels, it would be a four hour meeting with my staff as I tried to figure out what happened and how we never repeat that mistake. They picked anyway. a Damian Inglis uh, yeah. who doesn't mm. have a driver's license yet. And so mm. people have to drive him to and from practice. And when I was there, Zaza Pachulia was his ride and was like getting really, really annoyed that Damian Inglis was taking forever to get out of the practice. facility. <laughs> um, so that's that, that's his role on the team right now. Is he's like everyone's uh, the guy everyone has to show for around uh, Milwaukee. Come on, Mallory Edens. You missed the KJ McDaniels pick. I know you're preparing for college, but come on. You should have been all over that one. Uh, Zach Lowe will read your big uh, Tuesday Grant Ocom that's coming out today since that's when the podcast comes out. Thanks, as always, for the time. Talk to you soon. Have fun. All right. As promised, we're going to call my buddy Jacko, and uh, we're going to make fun of the Yankees and the Red Sox. I'm a Red Sox fan. He's a Yankee fan. Uh, this is what we do. Let's call him. Tom Plug litigation. This is John. Johnny. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? We haven't uh, made fun of each other for our baseball signing, so I thought we could do that now. 
I thought you were calling me to ask what time the ticker tape parade was now that the Yanks have gotten the final piece of the puzzle, D.D. Gregorius. Yeah. Is, did he hit 2.30 <laughs> last year? <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what people uh, tweeted at me, for Arizona fans, said that he's great defensively, but um, he, I'll be breaking TVs watching him trying to hit. So I look forward to that. How many times will you have four beers in you watching a Yankee game when that guy comes up just muttering to yourself, you're not there, Jeter? You're not. Uh, the over is probably Jeter. around 90 different games, I'll say that. Maybe higher. I take the over. I knew Derek Jeter. I love Derek Jeter. You're not Derek Jeter. I follow the Yankees on Twitter, and when they signed him or traded for him, they they had a you know number of highlights or whatever vines or instagrams or whatever and all of them were defensive defensive plays so that's a little sign of things to come i think for old dd well let's make fun of your team first then we can turn our attention to my team doesn't dd uh, gregorius sound like the name of a stripper from the 60s too i think i mean it sounds like a lot of things right it sounds like a terrible showtime drama somebody said it sounds like an 80s hair metal band guitarist of DJ Gregorius. <laughs> he was on Def Leppard for a couple of years for getting a fight with Joe Allen. Exactly. I like the, mm. I still stand by the 1960s stripper. I think DD Gregorius opened at Jack Ruby's Carousel Club in Dallas. <laughs> 1962. She was a featured dancer. She dated a mafioso boss. She's always been suspected. <laughs> exactly. Right. Sam Giancana's side piece, DD Gregorius. <laughs> That's good. I don't think I could top that one. Uh, so you have the other big move is you 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 paid nine million a year for Andrew Miller. I actually like that that one. I yeah, they could have He's a uh, they could have a really solid bullpen. I was of the mind of letting Dave Robertson take his uh, take his uh, talents elsewhere, but you know somebody pointed out somewhere I saw on the internet and said if you have a you know Miller Batanzas set up with Robertson, that really does make a phenomenal bullpen potentially. Or why wouldn't you just sign Roberts and then trade him? What does he want? What is this money situation? You know, I don't know what he's asking for. I, I think he I wants. That was like fifteen million a year, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't. I don't know why they would sign him and trade him. I mean, if somebody else wants him, they'll just go get him. Uh, I don't know how much of a commodity he is. I mean, I, if it was up to me, I would let Batanzas close. I think he's ready. I would do like what they did in, after 96 where they let Wetland walk and they uh, let Mariano be the closer. And I'm not saying Batanzas is Mariano, obviously, but no, you know, he's, he's I like better a guy than Mariano. That, <laughs> I like a guy that throws 98, 99, 100. Does I, it, I, it doesn't give up hits or runs. Yeah, you, exactly. You're a fan of that? Yeah, it's crazy. I had him on my League of Dorks team. Yeah, I had him on my League of Dorks team last year and it was like, one of the greatest fantasy experiences I've ever had in my life. Yeah. I come mean, in and strike out two guys every inning. I mean, maybe they took a look at the world series this year and said the Royals got there basically on, on a bullpen and defense and, mm. you know, one capable starter, essentially, I'm, I'm, you know, paraphrasing obviously, or, you know, I'm, hyperbole but you know basically it was great defense and a great bullpen that got them to the world series so maybe the yanks think they can take a page out of that book and do the same thing and today well, i know you're going to be i know you're going to be bouncing your grandkids on your lap telling them about the time you saw an infield of a rod yeah. gregorius martin prado and mr mom mark Teixeira. yeah i don't know that a rod's going to be involved there i think they're they're hopeful of resigning chase headley so i'll be bouncing my grandkids talking about chase headley Chase, DD, uh, Martine, and and Mr. Mom, and some A Rod at first, I think. 
What? I don't understand. Why don't they just buy out A-Rod? I don't know either. They what buy is the point of A-Rod? They would buy themselves $60 million of goodwill because I think that Hal Steinbrenner is not George Steinbrenner, and I, I think he's much more of a bean counter, and he seems to be worried about money more. I mean, George Steinbrenner would have – well, George Steinbrenner would have hired somebody to dig up dirt on A-Rod or probably had him killed. But uh, <laughs> but he certainly would have, if push came to shove, would have just bought out the $60 million and just eaten it and figure you're buying $60 million of goodwill. George George Steinbrenner would have hired Harry Spira to uh, to frame right. him somehow. Exactly, okay. somehow slandered a Rod and made him slink away. You know, before they made some damaging information public about him. The Yankees, their best move should be you buy out a Rod, right? Then you hold a press conference and you say we're making a commitment to the Yankee fans. We care about you guys and what you think, and we want the players on our team to represent the Yankee values that you grew up with. And this guy just didn't fit in. Huge win. Hank Steinbrenner's a hero for a week if he does that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hal. Hal runs things. They put Hank out to pasture after Hal. his one, one what, brief what moment of sunshine. I don't know. He's Is he running the Lakers? <laughs> yeah. Hank had his one brief moment of glory right after his father died, and he was in the spotlight. And then I think wiser heads prevailed, so let's put Hank in the background. And now he's working in the <laughs> warehouse at Amazon. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He works deep in the front office, way, way back in the front office. So I was at uh, JFK Airport like a month ago, (laughs) and I was in the gift shop, and they were selling a Jeter jersey like a month after he retired. It was the only Yankee jersey available, which which brought me infinite delight. Yes. And I emailed a couple of the Yankee fans that I'm friends with and sent a picture and made fun of you guys, and we went back and forth. Um, At some point— there's going to have to become a signature Yankee to replace Jeter because he doesn't play baseball anymore. Yes. He, he's now the editor of the player's website or whatever. What is that? What's that? The player's <laughs> tribune. The player's club. Player's tribute. Yes. <laughs> Senior player's editor. Club is Blake something else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We have a, we have a pop, an opening for a pop culture editor at Grantland. We yeah. were looking at Blake Griffin. I saw some of his senior editor work at the Players <laughs> Tribune. <laughs> Is he on WordPress? Blake, <laughs> Blake, will you take this edit test for us? We just want to make sure you're a senior editor. It's a um, chance for athletes to interact with the pub- public unfiltered, I think. Right? Yeah. Isn't that their their slogan or something? Their I mission don't wanna, statement? I don't want to cast dispersions on the uh, writing talent of some of these athletes. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, as somebody, a little filter. Who, well, as somebody who runs a website and and sees raw copy and is and is you know hired a bunch of different writers and editors, yeah. you can kind of tell when a piece has been polished. Yeah, so we say. Yeah, I'm going to say those pieces have been polished. <laughs> like a little polish. Maybe that's the beauty of it. It's raw, you know. No, no, no. I'm saying they're they're too polished. <laughs> oh, oh, they are. Oh, oh, like oh. the Blake Griffin thing was like like genuinely well written. You think the first hire was a team of ghostwriters? I think Blake Griffin's a really smart guy. Like I, I would put him on the high end of the smart athlete scale, but that was not his copy. That piece was, was really dramatically rewritten because it was really, really well written. And there's no athlete who can write like that. They're athletes. I yeah. just don't believe it. They're busy doing other things, getting better athletically. I mean, there's been, there's been some, a couple of examples of athletes just writing really, really like I think Bill Bradley's life on the run was really well written. And there's been some other books that were well written, but for the most part, I mean, there's a certain level of writing where you're like, okay, that's yeah, prof- being professionally done. Anyway, uh, 
that's what Jeter, that's what, that's what Jeter's doing now. Yes. And there's a spot now for a signature Yankee. And I yeah. can't remember the last time we didn't have a signature Yankee. Like even well, in the late eighties, early nineties, you had the Hitman. If you go to the Yankees uh, museum at Yankee stadium, they they refer to this time frame as the Jeter era. And, and basically the way they have last time I was at the Yankee museum was a couple of years ago in the new stadium. And they had the, you know, they have the Ruth era and then it was the Garrick era and then the DiMaggio era, the mantle. And then this era was the, uh, was the uh, Jeter era. So, you know, there's gaps in between those time frames. You know, the mantle era ended in 69 and then they didn't really have a, you know, they had the Jeter era that started in 96. So was there a Mel Holly era or no? <laughs> Sadly there was, but I'm not sure the Yankees officially recognize it. Um, the Steve Balboni era, I think, was what they had Listen, in the Matt, 80s. Um, I was there. Madeline was an era. I'm giving Madeline an era. Well, I don't think the Yankees count it because, unfortunately, for Donnie Baseball, there was no championships there in the 80s. And the 77-78 thing, you know, was kind of the Reggie era, although I'm not sure that they officially labeled it as such. So, you know, the, the Yankees Reggie had a, Thurman, Billy Martin era. Yeah. The Bronx Zoo era, I guess, would be a good summation of that. Um so, you know, there's there unfortunately are fallow periods for the Yankees and we may be entering into one now, but and your criticism of the Jeter jerseys at JFK, I mean, he did just retire in October. If you're if you're JFK next year at this time and they're still selling Jeter jerseys, I think you have a better argument, but I think there's still a little carryover from the season now and people celebrating his iconic exit from Yankee Stadium. I think it's fair still to sell Yankee uh, Jeter jerseys at JFK. Yeah, there's nothing at all pathetic about celebrating somebody who's not on the team anymore. <laughs> so you're okay, okay, from the guy whose team celebrates the eighth year anniversary of the 2004 World Series when That's things aren't going well in 2012. Don't let me into that. Those are those are the Red Sox owners. Those guys would. <laughs> well, those I don't guys run would sell JF, anything. I don't run the JFK concession store. <laughs> I can, I'm taking heat for that. You're taking heat for the sudden eight year anniversary of the 2004 team. At some point, you're going to need a signature Yankee. Is my point. They drag out Kevin Millar and Pedro like for every opening of like a you know new concession stand at Fenway. Give me a break. But they're available. <laughs> Very available. Um, well, maybe it's, I don't know I, who the I don't know who the face of the Yankees will be now. That's I mean, I think I know who it is. I think it's Masero Tanaka for the three weeks before his his arm blows out. <laughs> I was going to say Tanaka too, but. You know, I mean, I think that that he is probably a big-time Yankee. I saw he was, like, on the cover of some tops like, baseball card thing or something. So mm. I think that, you know, they can cross-market that with, with Japan, and he's an enormous star in Japan. And, you know, I'm not sure that he's how much he's going to catch on in America because he's a pitcher. He's not an everyday player in terms of being the face of the Yankees. But, yeah, and while we all wait nervously for his elbow to shred, so... um what about does J- does Jacoby Ellsbury have to get his OPS over seven fifty before well, I, he can be in the conversation? I was going to suggest him because he probably has the longest term contract now with the Yankees. I yeah. think they'd like it to be Brian McCann, but I'm not sure Brian McCann wants to be that guy. I think they have visions of him being like the Munson-esque leader of the Yankees, but uh, you know he didn't have anywhere close to the numbers to be the face of anything except futility. Well, so, he got uh, on base 29% of the time last year. Yeah, that's not bad. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to have to – so I don't know. They might have – maybe it'll be uh, maybe CC, although he's not an everyday play, uh, player either, and he's on the downside. Oh, Johnny. CC seems to be a lot of places publicity-wise, so. 
CC seems like he's taking one last grab at it before he goes eight and fifteen. Yeah, that's what we're headed for. Yeah, I think we're heading into a. I think we're. I think we're in a, a period between the between the iconic uh, leaders' faces of the franchise. Here's what I think you do. I think you let Robertson go. I think you make Batances the closer. Yeah, and I think he becomes the signature guy. Give him a nickname. Does he have a nickname? Is he Big Cat? What's his nickname? I don't know if he has a nickname. He needs one. Needs a nickname. Get him a nickname. Good, good entrance music for when he comes in and closes, and that becomes your signature guy. There you go. He is New York grown, so local boy made good and all that. Absolutely. He does not have a nickname. There you go. From what I can tell, yeah, from Brooklyn. There's your dude, Johnny. You're in. You're back. There you go. Um, all right, let's make fun of my team. <laughs> Finally. Um, we have 30 outfielders. This, I'm, I'm so dreading this phone call because the minute I hang up, I'm going to get some Twitter alert from John Heyman updating saying, Red Sox signed Lester for, you know, $40 or something. I know well, that's coming. We're taping this on a Monday. Yeah, winter meeting's getting started. Lester Choice expected by Tuesday. Let's there just, you go. Let's just pencil him in for the Sox now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Unless he's a giant trader. That's a lockdown. That's like, well, he has no, why should he have any loyalty to them? They shipped him out of town. Oh, come, that was so wink, wink. Shipped him right out of town. They wouldn't play, wouldn't, he didn't want to have protracted contract negotiations. They embarrassed him with like a, you know, $75 million offer. Uh, which was, you know, they they wouldn't offer to some guy off the street, and they offer that to the, their beloved John Lester, and now he's yeah. supposed to go back to them with open arms. Come on, yes, that that's actually the plan. Yes, you just see, <laughs> <laughs> you just described it to a T. Thanks, Johnny. Isn't this, didn't he sell his house in Newton or put it on the market or something? Um, I think like a month ago, that was a big thing where he, everybody thought it was locked down. He was coming to the Red Sox and he put his house in Newton on the, on the market. But I, I suppose like if he gets $150 million, he could always buy another house. I don't like when you hate read up on the Red Sox. <laughs> I know you're hate reading. You're going to Boston.com. I, I noticed that it was, that popped up in a couple of different places. So, All right. So I'm going to defend the uh, signings one at a time. All right. I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to talk myself into the Panda signing. No, because. Yeah. I bet against him in the World Series, and I was completely terrified every time he came up. I always felt like he was going to get a hit, and I think he's he's uh, he's a gamer. His his postseason record speaks for himself. Um, beloved by the Giants fans, he loves going the other way. My dad was very excited about the panda. He was he was doing the whole. <laughs> it's like when Fred Lynn was here. He used oh to God. go the other way. Fred Lynn never should have left. <laughs> Did that whole thing. So that was great. Uh, a natural kind of character, weird body guy to take over when Big Poppy finally and tragically retires. Right, right. That'll be good. Uh, huge thumbs up all the way around, and it's not my money, and I don't care if they might overpay a little bit. The, the handling, uh, the handling thing's a little you. tougher. The, the panda thing is worth it for you because seeing Red Sox fans in panda hats is going to drive me so crazy. Yeah. Everybody, every pink hat is going to throw away their pink hat and buy one of those stupid panda mask hat things. With panda ears? It's gonna, Those are going to be flooding Fenway. If you could... If I could find a way to market, I got to talk to some suppliers overseas and see if they can get me some pink panda hats, and I'll make a fortune. I'll retire on, on selling pink panda hats to Fenway because that is going to drive everybody insane. 
I think he's going to be peppering the wall from 7.30 to 10.30, and, and then he's going to be peppering the north end <laughs> for late night late, late meals, and I don't care. I can't wait till he hits one off the wall and gets thrown out at first, the old Greg Luzinski. <laughs> first whatever. <laughs> I'm into it. I love the Panda. It's a fun team. How can he not? First of all, he'd be he'd be in the JFK shop if he was on the Yankees. <laughs> he'd be, they'd be selling Panda jerseys and little Panda Yankee jersey things. <laughs> Probably, probably, but yeah. Anytime you can pay, what do they? What do they pay him? Five, five for ninety-five or five for a hundred something? Yeah. Well, you know, it turns out Johnny, three rings are expensive. Jeez, I guess he's, so. He's, he's got to well carry three it. rings. I'm sure. Yeah. He'll, I'm sure he'll only get better with age, more fit. No question about it. Money well spent. The fifth year of that contract, he's going to be. We're talking great. to him about a gluten-free diet. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to drop a few things besides gluten. Glutino pretzels. There you go. A couple of getting things. So I, I love the panda signing. You're not going to talk me out of it. Hanley, right. Hanley, you could probably put some doubt in my mind. Well, I, I don't love paying a guy who's oft injured. That's like the first line of any description of him. Oft injured, Hanley Ramirez. I don't love paying a guy who's oft injured uh, that you don't have a position for. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. He played short and then he moved to third and you have a shortstop and a third baseman. Yep, that's all. That's very true. I don't understand giving a guy, you know, neighborhood of a hundred million bucks, and then yeah. say, "By the way, uh, you have an outfielder's glove. You want to, interested to learn how to play that at the major league level? You know, when you're thirty something." Yeah, these are problems. <laughs> I don't understand that. I really don't. I mean, that's like a classic. Like, did they step in because they thought, you know, when they used to have the Yankees Red Sox battles over free agents was like, you know, when they dabbled with Johan Santana just to drive up the price for the Yankees and then he ended up going to the Mets anyway and was hurt, but whatever. They used to dabble with each other's free you know, free agent desires. Did they think the Yankees were gonna step in and have him be like the shortstop or third baseman instead of Chase Headley? So they pulled the trigger because they have the money to do it. Yeah. And that you have about seventeen outfielders now and right. and Everybody knows you're selling Cespedes for five cents on the dollar because you have to get him out of town now. These are all good points. <laughs> um, I have made no sense to me. And if you don't get Lester, although I think you're probably going to get Lester, but if you don't get Lester, then, you know, and then Buckholtz, you're looking at Buckholtz as your number one starter. That's that's a major problem. Or if you're trade, you know, because you're not going to trade allegedly Hall of Famer uh, Xander Bogarts. You know, you're you're dabbling with Cole Hamels, who I don't don't really love him, but still owed about a hundred million bucks coming to the American League. Yeah, and I don't Me. love Scherzer. I don't know the Yankees will probably sign Scherzer now. I don't love Scherzer, who I think was sort of a one or two year wonder. I don't have a lot of faith in him, and I don't think he he doesn't scare me as an opponent. So I'm like, if your biggest concern is is pitching, and your your pitching is basically a shambles. Uh, you know, I understand you have the budget to do whatever you want to do, but I don't get the I don't get the Hanley signing at all. Really strong case, and I'd like to thank you for not mentioning that he's he's from the Dominican Republic and he might be thirty five years old. <laughs> well, that's um, a good point too. So that was the one all... good thing for it, is Big Poppy is buddies with him. So I'm sure I'm sure Big Poppy has some of his magic elixir where Come Hanley will only hit thirty five home be runs. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> so I had all of these same concerns and. My dad was visiting for Thanksgiving and we were driving around and we, we started talking about the Red Sox. And I, I was talking about how I was a little concerned about the Hanley signing. My dad talked me into it and like, I probably like in three minutes. Okay. So first of all, his big brother and his mentor in life is David Ortiz. <laughs> right. 
That's his guy. So everyone agrees Hanley was kind of a cancer in the Dodgers and generally. Big Poppy won't let him get away with that. His best friend in the minors? You wear this? Uh, I'm, I'm not. Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> really? There oh, yeah. Little Petey. Nice. Uh, his best friend. So there's a support system in place for young Hanley, who seems like he could, you know, he's like that kid in high school. He can fall in with the wrong group. First of all, young Hanley is a, is a little <laughs> bit of a <laughs> Maybe just Hanley. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just Hanley will work in this situation. And yeah, he's, um, he's the kid in high school who's like, hey, come out, come out in recess. We're going to smoke cigarettes in the parking lot. Okay, I'll come out. Or it could be like Ortiz and, and Pedroia, like Hanley. Uh, during recess, we're we're gonna we're gonna work out and eat some healthy food. Come on with us. Yeah. Maybe Ortiz is bad for that analogy, but um, yeah, I do feel like they've they've must have inside info that they feel like those two guys can really help him from a personality standpoint. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the Red Sox front office, they always think that they're smarter than everybody else. And they always look askance at other teams, you know, and think, Oh, well, well three, they, three world series in I 10 know. years will make you feel that way. Johnny. Yeah. It's a fair point, but they always think that they're smarter than everybody. So they think, well, everybody else, Hanley was a problem for and his knees didn't hold up and his hamstring or whatever other back issues he has. But once we come here with all of our magic, it'll be just wonderful. And, yeah. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be, but maybe it won't be. Maybe he'll be the Hanley of old. It's a four-year deal. Um, he's not playing short for them. No. He's a terrible shortstop. No, they're going to make him an outfielder even... for the first time at age 33 or whatever he is. Well, they'll put him in right field. Um, but he hit, like, in in a little more than half a season, 2013, at 345, 20 homers. My friend Hershey, who's a giant Dodger fan, believes to every to his dying bone in his body that the Dodgers would have won the World Series in 2013 if Hanley didn't get hit in the first playoff game. Yeah. He was like, he was red hot. He was carrying us. He also said, um, Hanley's one of those guys that he'll get a double, he'll slide into second base, and it'll take him five minutes to get up. Mm. I don't know how that's going to play in Boston. Right. And he... I think he has a tendency to sort of linger after injuries where he's not going to be like, you know, fighting to get back in the lineup, racing yeah. to come back. He's going to make sure he's fully healed. And, and, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to play among the faithful either. Well, and then the other thing she said, who, who was a huge Dodger fan, he said, when Hanley's in the zone, it's maniac. Like he'll have these little two, three week stretches where he's just destroying the ball. And it's like, and he said he's one of the best swings he's ever seen. And it's just like a, when he's on, it's, he said it's like a pleasure to watch him. Like, you don't want to miss his at-bats. So that's fun to have. There you I, go. I could go either way. I do feel like it has all the makings of somebody that the Boston media, like one small thing will happen and they'll turn on him and then it'll just become a death spiral. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Yeah, I could see that happening. No question. Like the fragile, they they'd say he's fragile or whatever, and it just and then all of a sudden it's he's the worst person on the planet, and he should be excommunicated and sent out of the United States and put him in prison. <laughs> well, hopefully <laughs> he'll get. Boston, hopefully he'll Boston, get. They're arguing about Tom Brady's f bombs on the sidelines. This is I a know. story in Boston. Like, are you kidding me? 
I know. It's, I know. They need something to write about. You always said it's cold here. It's, win- it's getting to be winter. It's not getting to be. It is winter. People are miserable, so they want to be miserable about something. Well, people are miserable, but the media people are really miserable. Yeah. I mean, Shaughnessy is just like poison. Oh, like that guy yeah. should just have a bottle of arsenic as his headshot. <laughs> <laughs> just lives in the misery and poison and toxicness of everything. Yeah, Tox- yeah. Toxicity, whatever yeah. the word is. Toxicity, yes. He is just, a, I, I can't believe people think he's like the representative of Boston sports fans, like as the leading whatever. So from a and Red Sox hater perspective, what I can hope for is that the media starts picking on Hanley and then he goes into a shell or lashes yeah. out. And then Ortiz prickly. gets mad. And then Ortiz That's, gets prickly and yeah. lashes out at the media and then everybody starts dumping on Ortiz and then we just have complete chaos. And then you have, yeah, you have all the ri- all the miserable radio station guys, they get into it. And then there's this counter thing of all the other people saying the media is being too mean. And then that's what they do in Boston. That's one of the reasons I had to leave. I couldn't take it anymore. It's like they're creating gives, stories that are that are about the media, not the actual athletes. That gives me something to look forward to. I'm excited about this now. I'm now a little I worried like about that. All, all the more. So it, it's, it's a weird strategy because basically they took the two best hitters off the market. And now they're going to try to trade hitting because so many more teams need hitting than pitching. And there's actually a surplus of pitchers, which sounds great on paper, but they haven't made any trades yet. Right. Maybe everything is going to, there's a log jam. I think everybody's waiting for Lester to come off the board. And then once that happens, you know, things will fall quickly with dominoes. And then, you know, teams that need pitching are going to move pitching for bats. And I mean, the Mets have this, you know, surplus of alleged young arms that are the next great thing. And, you know, they're looking to wheel and deal to make some, to get some offense. So we'll see how much that happens. And, you know, the Sox have offense and, you know, are looking for pitching. So I'm going to say this, it's going to sound like I'm trying to peddle him and get teams interested in him. Like anyone would make a trade based on what we're talking about at the (laughs) 59th minute mark of a podcast. I'm sure they're listening. Yeah. With your meetings right now. The Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein are listening really carefully right Absolutely. now for my opinion on this. Um, Shane Victorino. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to talk up Cespedes. You're going to talk up Shane Victorino. Oh, my God. Let me just tell you, it's a 1987 Yugo, but it's a classic. It's a, it's a, this car, let me tell you, people want this car. It's reliable. It's good on gas. Oh, my God. I was getting ready for a big Cespedes argument, like, oh, he's got a cannon for an arm, and what a bad. Yeah, that's not true. I mean, I don't even need to sell you that. <laughs> Shane Victorino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got three wheels, but you can find another wheel really easily. It's not that big a thing. They're on eBay all the time. <laughs> wow. I didn't, even, I didn't even get to say a third word. I just oh said God. Shane. I hope Jed Hoyer just just pushed stop on his iPod and stopped listening to this podcast. So last year, Shane's contract. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Terrific defensive outfielder. Sure. Great in the clubhouse. Yeah. Beloved in the clubhouse. The and he's in a contract year. there last year. They all loved him. Yeah. He's in a contract year. You know he's going to be in shape. Play you do realize contract. this is not the NBA. There's no, there's no value to an expiring contract. You get that, right? I, I just think, like, like for instance, the, the, the Mets signed Michael Kadire for two years, $22 million. Right. Sean Fantasy and I, in the Grand One office, he's a Mets fan. We were talking about it. And he, he just thought it was horrible because on top of signing Kadire, who's not even good, right. he gave up the number one pick. Right. 
in the signing, which is like on the face of it is just idiotic. Of course. If if I had the choice between giving up my yeah, giving up my number one pick for Michael Kadire or just wrote, just taking Shane Victorino's contract for a year, to me that's like I, I wouldn't even blink. Yeah. Well in that context, yes, but Yeah, so he's I'm not sure value. teams are gonna there be beating go. down your door for Shane Victorino. Oh no, they're not even knocking on the door. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, I don't even think they're in our driveway. No, no. But you're trying to convince them to come and, you know, come and, come and kick the tires on him. Here's the thing about Shane Victorino, and we see this in the playoffs every year. There's two guys that surface in, like, one of the championship series or even in the World Series that are familiar names that were kind of given up for dead, and then all of a sudden they're playing. And you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah. He's on that team? San Francisco had a guy like that last year. I'm blanking on who it was, but those guys just kind of, you know, they kind of make appearances at the right times. He's one of those guys. He had one of the biggest hits in 2013 for us. He had a grand slam in the Tigers game. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I wish you good luck with this with this marketing campaign for Shane Victorino. I'm not, I'm not sure he's going to bring you Cole Hamels because he, I don't think they want him back in Philadelphia. You're not buying, huh? No, no, I'm, I'm selling on Shane Victorino. I'm afraid. Okay. Well, I tried. It's an excellent, well, excellent effort, though. Here's my fear, and I, and I really, this is a really important point, and I really care about it. <laughs> I don't want them to trade Mookie Betts. I'm going to really take it personally if they trade Mookie Betts. That guy can hit. That guy will come back to haunt us. The Bruins freaking traded Tyler Sagan. Right. Every, no Bruins fan felt good about that trade when it happened because he was only 20 and we knew he was talented and obviously he was partying too much or whatever he did, but he's like fourth in the league in points. And it was one of those trades that when it happened, my dad and I were bummed out. And I feel like if, if they gave up on, on Mookie Betts for a pitcher because they couldn't trade Suspedes or whatever, like that would make me unhappy. I think they're going to have to move Mookie because I think every team no. that has pitching and they want him, they're going to inquire about him. Plus, you the Red Sox have a rough history with people named Mookie, as I don't have to remind you. Uh, but, uh, you, know, you, like, you tortured yourself last year watching Yankees-Red Sox games, even though both of them were way out of the pennant race. Weren't you yeah. scared of Mookie Betts when he came up? Yeah, oh yeah, he's very good. And, and all the scouts and everything say he's the best second baseman on the Red Sox. But you uh, have, they, I mean, see, now is, that, that was a dig. Oh, yeah, well, you I know, could, that was a dig. You, all, you I ever had hear, all I had to hear here for the past five to 10 years was, you know, Jeter has no range. and The best shortstop on the team is A-Rod. And, you know, there's better shortstops and he can't field and they, he demands to play there. And he's, you know, putting his own personal aggrandizement over the needs of the team. And I, so, yeah. so I like to see the shoe on the other foot now that you have everybody's beloved little scrappy binky, you know, the de facto captain at second base. And you have a better second baseman who's younger and better in every aspect of the game. But because you have your beloved icon there at second base taking grounders in his folding metal chair with the cameras clicking while he has a broken foot or whatever, wow, and everybody is... loves that, he's going to block the way and they're going to send old Mookie out of town. And you can watch, you know, watch P.D. Roya hit whatever he hit last year, hey. 260 or whatever. All I could say is words hurt. <laughs> I hope so. So that's what's happening here. The shoe is now on the other foot. You're, you've really become the Yankees. You, you're letting this player dictate over the needs of the team, and you're, you're out buying people you don't even need. Scandalous, well, now, really. 
Now we really need Pedrea because he's one of our two babysitters for Hanley Ramirez. That's right. He's all the more important. That's how you can sell it when you send Mookie out of town. We had to keep Pedroia because he's best friends with Hanley. Well, and then they signed the freaking Cuban guy, too. who Nobody's been able to explain what he's really good at except for playing defense. Yeah. Runelvis or whatever. About that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't Resney. know. They love these, they love these uh, Cuban guys. They're mysterious. Yeah, uh, Pedroia, I almost said Binky. You're like brainwashing me. <laughs> Pedroia, 278 last year with the 376 slugging. There you go. Not really what I'm looking for. <laughs> from the guy much. blocking Mookie Betts. He wasn't at the seventh in the MVP voting uh, in 2013. So take that fact and smoke it. <laughs> um, the... Uh, <laughs> I don't want them to trade Mookie Betts. And if anyone listens to this podcast and comes away with anything other than the fact that the Yankees have no signature players and you're going to be miserable watching them this year, I don't want the Red Sox to trade Mookie Betts. Well, the, I mean, the other option is that you trade the Hall of Famer Xander Bogarts, but that's off the table, right? Unless you're getting God, unless that, you're getting Sandy Koufax in his prime back. That also feels Sagan-esque. Are you really going to give up on the guy because he had an offseason in year two? Hmm. I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, I posted a, I put on Instagram a photo of us from 1989. Yeah, I saw it on, I'm not on Instagram, but I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, it was on my, I only did that for friends only on the, I, I think I did it incorrectly, but my Instagram account is SPTGUI33. <laughs> if you want to see Johnny and I from 1989, I'm debating. 19. I found this mother load of, of this unbelievable college photo album that I'd, I'd, I'd thought I had lost or had gotten accidentally thrown out. And it's just, just, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And I'm debating like how far to go with posting some of these photos, even just on Facebook with just friends only. And I only have like a hundred friends on Facebook, <laughs> but there's some classics. And I, I got to say, there's, there was a little more uh, underwear shots and, and just general bare-ass humor than I, than I remembered from college. <laughs> male underwear shots, you should specify. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> male, had, male nudity and semi-nudity, yeah. We had one roommate who used nudity as a comedic device, and it was effective. <laughs> to great effect, yes. Yeah, it was effective. You know, but, uh, I don't, I'm 44, and I'm, I'm constantly reminded of that, but I, I don't really feel all that old. But then when I see a picture like that that you posted of us from 1989, we were 19, and we look like we're about seven years old, I'm like, good Lord. It's been a lot of, so many years, so many years ago. It's crazy. There's another photo that I have that I didn't post where we, we're in your room, and there's a U2 poster behind us. And it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> of course there was. It's the perfect storm of old. That's right. It is great. It, 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 there's some good ones. See, one of the photos I found was the group photo of Green Death Night. Oh, God, yeah. What was Green Death? Uh, I think it was called, like, Heffenreffer or something. It was some we green got like 40 German... malt liquor beer thing. I thought it was, like, a little keg. No, no, it was like in a, it was just like a 40 ounce thing. It was like in a weird kind of jug or something, but it was like beer or malt liquor. But we did a, we did a power hour with it where you do a shot of it oh, that was every minute for an idea. hour. Six, so you do like 60 shots in an hour of beer, which doesn't sound like it would be that bad, but then it hits you like you were on a, some crazy drug cocktail or something. That that was a mistake. Yeah, that was not a good choice. <laughs> it's a mistake to do a power hour anyway, and I don't recommend them. Well, I kind of do, but um, 
but don't do it with with beer that's actually stronger than normal beer. Is yeah, was, that was, was maybe in retrospect the mistake. That was the night I woke up on the bathroom floor. <laughs> I was going to the bathroom, and then the next thing I knew, I was just on the ground, and my head hurt. And I just like I I, I just kind of went down going to the bathroom. The two drinking escapades, or whatever you would call them, that really stand out are when we did that. Yeah. And then the other one was when we did that keg race. Oh, that was where it was like six or seven guys in a quarter barrel, and you had to see who could who could finish at the first, who finished at first. Yeah. You know, it was competing teams of like I forget how many guys were on a team. No, Maybe it, was, it, was 10, it was seven or ten. No, no, no. It, it, it totally wasn't ten. It was like five, <laughs> five or six guys, and then there was a massive garbage barrel with puke in it because so, you would inevitably have to throw up to clear out your system, and then you just keep drinking. Yeah. And then there was a guy there who was in Rossi and he had on like the Robert Duvall um, Cavalier Trooper hat after it was over. Cause after we all finished quarter kegs and yeah. he was sitting on it with the celebratory half barrel and he was saying, there's no losers here. We're all winners. Everybody's a winner. I, I'm yeah. not sure that was the case really that everybody was a winner. Yeah. There were no winners at all. <laughs> there was a lot of losers. <laughs> And one of the teams was like a guy made up of football players, and I think they finished that thing in like eight minutes. Yeah, we, we learned pretty early that we weren't going to win. That was the only night I ever almost got into a fight in, in college at at a party. Yeah, because <laughs> we were drunk, but we we had also thrown up all the stuff, so it was like this weird kind of violent buzz. Yeah. It was just the whole thing was weird. College is. I wonder, like, if if that stuff is even happening as much in college anymore because people are so afraid of all these different things, and rightfully so. We should yeah, we was, should have been we probably should have been more afraid of things. It was the days before social media, so we had more carte blanche. But uh, yeah, I still now, think now the craziest. I still think the craziest thing we did was highlight, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think, I think highlight is the single most indefensible thing we did. That was after being drunk, though. But this, I'm just talking about like the power hour and the keg race thing, where things. Do oh no, get drunk, no, they're in the discussion. I'm yeah, just oh, saying, yeah. like, I don't even uh, totally understand why we ever thought highlight was a good idea. <laughs> no. for, for any reason, because highlight I'm, was basically whipping a golf ball off a metal door and seeing who could stand the closest to it but not get hit, <laughs> and it would come off the metal door at like 130 miles an hour. Yeah. It's Except really amazing. Have died playing highlight. It's really amazing. Nobody ever lost an eye yeah, off a metal door, and then if it hit cement, it was even more had even more velocity. Even more amazing is that I had the video camera all through college, and somehow never taped the highlight game. I feel like <laughs> yeah. that would have forty million views on YouTube now. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That was that was dumb. Yeah. Well, anyway, if you want to see a picture of Jacko and I, check out my uh, my Instagram feed. S P T G U I three. Have an aged a minute. Look the same. Johnny, yeah, always a pleasure. Good time. Uh, worst of luck with your rest of your Yankees offseason. <laughs> and you as well. Talk Happy to you holidays. Soon. You too. Bye bye. See you. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Pod Center at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.